This is Anne-Marie Lewis, and you are listening to We Are Rivers, a podcast series about the rivers that connect us. In this episode of We Are Rivers, we are going to take a pause from the policy side of river management and reflect on why we care to listen to long podcasts or lectures about policy in the first place. In our first episode of this series, The Value of Rivers, we focused on the ecological, economic, and spiritual importance of rivers. And in this episode, we will focus more heavily on their recreational and personal importance. As we discussed in Episode 9, 5,000 Miles of Wild, stories have the magnificent power of transporting readers and listeners from one time and place to another, relating to experiences, some completely unknown, through the twist of a word. So join me and two We Are Rivers listeners, Eliza Stein and Jordana Barrick, as they share the story of how they became involved with rivers and some of their most memorable moments on water. A friend of my parents is a big kayaker, and I went kayaking with him in Glenwood Springs in seventh grade, I think, but it was just really scary and I was pretty young. This is Eliza Stein, a recent college graduate, telling the story of how her life on the river began and how it escalated. And then in college, my freshman year, there was a beginning whitewater series that was student taught, and I signed up for it, and I got in off the lottery. And we were out on the river for three nights, and after that trip, I was just like, I'm going to be doing river trips because... I don't want to be doing anything else right now. I just couldn't believe that I hadn't become aware of it until I was 20 years old. And that's pretty much how my junior and senior year went. After graduating college last May, Eliza went on a river trip up in Alaska, paddling the Alatna River in the Brooks Range with three other friends. And they all were really interested in climbing in the Aragach Peaks, but they also wanted to experience the movement from the peaks, kind of like being in the wilderness and in some of the highest peaks in Alaska and traveling out of that area back into civilization in a unorthodox means of travel. And so they came to me and they were like, we don't have any river experience. Will you come on this trip with us? And I was like, okay. Before disembarking on their adventure, they went on float trips and all became trained in swift water rescue, preparing themselves for their many miles on the Alatna. From the headwaters to where it meets the Koyukuk River, which the Koyukuk eventually goes to the Yukon and then flows into the ocean, the Alatna is like 300 miles. And Eliza started just 50 miles south from the headwaters. Before that, we, we did a backpacking trip, so we got flown into the Alatna, stashed our river gear, and then hiked up into the Aragach Peaks, which is where the Continental Divide is, and did some hiking around there and, you know, like saw the glaciers, and the glacial lakes and the runoff where all of that water comes from, and then hiked back down, followed Aragach Creek where it meets the Alatna, got in the Alatna, and we were on it for two weeks. In many ways, Eliza's river trip was a demarcation from her time in school. Eliza and her friends graduated only two months before their trip in August began. When you're on the river, especially when it's not super technical and it's mostly flat, you're just kind of paddling and thinking, like, okay, what really makes me happy? And at the end of the day, when I come home, 
what makes me feel fulfilled. And it was cool being with three other people who'd also just graduated because they were also doing the same thing, just thinking about what was next. And we had some really honest conversations with each other. What an amazing trip and place to be in to have that mark between all these years of schooling and then coming to its pivotal point in college and then after that having this trip that kind of signifies the exiting of one stage of life. Yeah, it really felt like that. It, It felt like the moment of transition for me where I was moving on to the next stage of life. And can you tell me about a moment or day on this trip that really sticks out to you more than anything else on this adventure? Yeah, I think I've been thinking a lot about this question and I can give you a day that stands out where I was just like, wow, the river is really beautiful. But I think more than that, what sticks out to me looking back on the trip is the the long-term aspect of the trip. We were in the backcountry for three weeks and on the river for two weeks. And, you know, what we went in thinking we wanted to do for this trip was experience a different means of travel. And walking away from the trip, that was what stands out to me the most, like being up in the Aragetch Peaks at the glaciers and seeing the drops of water first form. I mean, we're looking at the glaciers and watching them drip into the glacial lakes, which turn into creeks, which converge into bigger creeks, which later meet the Alatna River. And, you know, we're up there, and then we walk down to the Alatna, and then we get our boats, and we get on the Alatna, and it literally carried us into civilization from the middle of nowhere, from the highest peaks in Alaska, out of the Brooks Range, to where it became flat and marshy until we reached a fishing village. And I, I remember on my first river trip, falling asleep in the tent and hearing the river. I was on the Colorado River on Ruby Horse Thief, and you could just hear it next to the tent, and I was thinking about how cool it was that the river was carrying me with it. I mean, we talk a lot how about how rivers have this immense power to destroy, but also if we respect them, how they have the power to deliver us something really beautiful, which is to let us float on them and to carry us from place to place. And I was thinking on that first river trip how lucky I was to be able to do that for four days. And then, I mean, being out on the Alatna in Alaska, doing it from a river's headwaters to its confluence over the course of three weeks is just something that I have a hard time putting into words. And you know, each night falling asleep and hearing the river and thinking about how it's the physical essence that's carrying you from place to place. I mean, that's really where my appreciation for rivers, I think, originates is that, I mean, you can cover distance and get to places so remote that you would never be able to experience. Rivers first came into my life when I was a child. This is Jordana Barrick. She lives in Fort Collins, Colorado. 
I grew up in San Diego, California, and my parents, it was always important to them to take me and my younger brother up to Yosemite National Park for summer vacation every year. And uh, while we were up there, a big part of what we would do hanging out in the mountains was uh, hanging out along the Merced River that flows out of Yosemite Valley. And uh, my dad wanted to make sure that as kids we had good skills in rock hopping and scrambling along the the boulders on the side of the river. And then um, on those really warm days, uh, I can remember. So uh, I grew up in the 80s, and um, I can still remember my mom's 80s perm and the round inflatable party raft uh, from Kmart that they would blow up and we would float down this golden river. And it's amazing still today I can visualize these moments spent on this river with my parents and just how crystal clear that water was in the Merced River and those golden colored river rocks that would just swiftly pass by beneath us that you could see the river bottom. And that was kind of my first experience. We would do that every summer. Jordana shared with me a river story that came from her favorite river, the Cache-la-Poudre River, which flows down from the Rocky Mountains just west of where she lives in Fort Collins. And then it flows into our downtown. The Cache-la-Poudre River has the only wild and scenic designation in Colorado. And for an in-depth look at what a wild and scenic designation entails, take a look at episode 8 and 9 of this series. Jordana works for New Belgium Brewing Company as the corporate secretary and assists with the New Belgium Family Foundation. So the Cache La Poudre River employs Jordana to a degree. Beer is water. Um, you know, beer is usually 94, 95% water. And uh, we take about four gallons of water to produce one gallon of beer. And that's a that's a big deal. And so my livelihood is really based on the water that flows down that river. And then maybe my peace and sanity is based on me getting to play on that same body of water. <laughs> now to Jordana's story. Jordana and her partner Mark have a two-person paddle cat raft called a shredder. As Jordana explains, a key component of rafting a smaller boat like the shredder is communication. And, as Jordana jokes, it's a boat that will make or break a relationship. And, uh, fortunately, my partner Mark and I have had a lot of really great adventures in it and a lot of success navigating um, the rapids up there in the canyon. Rapids are rated on a score of 5 in terms of difficulty, 5 being the most difficult. And in the Class 3 to Class 4 rapids up in the canyon, times can get a little rough for a little boat like the Shredder. Such is exemplified by Jordana's story that took place this past summer as she and her partner paddled into Pine View Falls, the biggest rapid in the canyon on the Cache La Poudre River. And so uh, we were going into Pine View Falls, kind of the biggest rapid on the river. And um, we get to that, we drop into the very first hole, and uh, that first hole just stopped us. Stopped us dead in our tracks. Um, the boat stood up, flipped over. Uh, we were both in the water. My partner, Mark, climbed up um, on the boat upside down. Um, I swam another hole, and then he pulled me in. And then we kind of navigated upside down the boat through Pine Box Rapid, just below Pine View Falls, and um, and didn't have a lot of ability to control where we're going. We get below that rapid, and there's a boat launch to put in, take out, and somebody threw us a rope. 
And so uh, we, we got the rope, dragged us to shore. I'm a little out of breath, trying to catch my breath. And um, all of a sudden I hear, is that Jordy? My friends call me Jordy. And then the next line was, do you want a beer? <laughs> It kind of, you know, also brings it full circle to, you know, the river feeding my livelihood through my job and my play. And, yeah, I don't know. It was a pretty funny moment. And somehow news travels downstream, too. I don't know why, but there were there's were people that would come up to me and be like, oh, yeah, I heard Jordy swam Pineview <laughs> last week, you know, and it was just kind of funny how uh, just a little event like that was kind of a big deal. A fun fact about Jordana is that she is also a potter. She owns Twisted River Creative, and her experiences on rivers is what drives her artistic inspiration. What sticks out to me with rivers the most is just the overall experience while being on them. Um, I also am an artist, and I do pottery, and I have decided that I want my pottery to be representative of the rivers that um, I travel through. And so anytime I'm on a river trip, I try to kind of journal about the the sensory experience, about the colors, the color of the sagebrush, the color of the the red iron rocks. Um, And I come home and I try to mix a few glaze combinations uh, to create these colors or replicate these colors from these river experiences into these vessels that I then get to drink out of um, the rest of the year. And and so I've started naming my my pottery color collections after rivers. So I have a green river collection. Uh, I think it was two years ago now, um, my partner and some friends and I went and ran Gates of Lador on the green river. And I remember, this is another really vivid memory I have of uh, my my partner was on the oars, and so I was uh, just a passenger on the boat. And we were on the gates at high water, so it was at the peak uh, release from the dam upstream. And we were running through, I think it was uh, Upper Disaster, And um, I remember uh, Mark took this line, just this most beautiful line through this rapid, and we sort of rode this lateral wave right above this burly hole just to the right of us. And I remembered that green line that we followed through that rapid And I managed to come home and create this glaze combination that has this sort of muddy, muted green uh, on the majority of the the vessel, but um, at the edge where the glaze meets the clay body, uh, there is this thin, bright green line um, that just every time I look at it, it reminds me of that amazing run through that rapid that we had. And so it's fun to go travel into these places and find a way to take a piece of them home with me without actually taking anything. This next part of our podcast addresses a question I face every day while creating this podcast series. And that question is, how does one make someone care, and I mean really care, about rivers if they haven't experienced them for themselves? Is sharing a story enough? 
And is it fair to ask everyone to care, as I sit on my privileged perch of being lucky enough to truly understand the recreational and almost cosmic at times importance of rivers? I think that is a really, really great question. And I think it's a question that we need to keep asking ourselves more and more. Um, it's a tough subject because I agree that these places that are so special do need to be protected, but it's also tough because so few people get to experience it. So a lot of these multi-day river trips, for one, you got to get lucky and even pull a permit in the lottery to get out there. And then once you do, you know, there's only four to eight permits that launch a day with, you know, 10 to 20 people and, when you look at a large population around the U.S. of these urban populations and, yeah, these people that will never experience what we get to experience running these rivers, how do you convince them to care? And, and yeah, you can't judge them if they don't care because they don't know. You know, we've even found that it's hard to come home. I mean, you still have that reentry period, but after seven days on the Salmon River in the wilderness, you, you go back to work and people ask, oh, how was your vacation? And how do you really explain to them how you lay down at night and you still feel the sway from being on a boat for eight hours, seven days in a row? And you can still smell the damp rabbit brush from the side of the riverbanks and see the colors of the rock walls. And, you know, I know what that feels like so deeply inside of me but how to describe that to other people uh, in a way that they say, yes, you know what, I do want to donate to this organization, and I do want to care about protecting these places. Rivers are like anything in that some people have the privilege of experiencing them firsthand, and those people, you know, because rivers do really affect everybody because they provide us with a water source, but also because they keep ecosystems alive that keep the earth alive those people who do have the privilege of interacting directly with rivers kind of become the messengers who I think have a responsibility to spread the good word and to to share with others you know those moments that I just shared with you and so, you know, I definitely appreciate the storytelling component that uh, American Rivers and other organizations are doing. You know, I think Yeti and Patagonia are great storytellers uh, from a corporate example of how they are trying to bring some of those experiences to someone's media in a way um, that hopefully inspires them. Without even considering the benefits of humanity and of life on earth just like what can I get from a river I feel like that's the story that I just shared with you and those types of stories I think hit home with some people but I think there are the other types of stories that we tell about the wildlife that we see on the river and you know when we got to this fishing village and when we got closer to the village we saw people coming up on fishing boats and starting to understand on that most basic level how people can rely on rivers. And, you know, when we see at every single campsite moose and bear and wolf tracks that came out of the woods, approached the river, and then went back into the woods. And so 
I think when you see that, you realize that the rivers are central to all of these things. And I think it really is the responsibility of those of us who are out there and see those animal tracks and see the people out fishing and get those personal experiences of being on the river to share with others about why it's important. And that's the type of thing that, you know, people who go out into the mountains, it's their responsibility to share with others why mountains are important because not everybody has the privilege of going to the mountains. And even even things that we don't often think of as privilege, like people who see a different side of society than others. And so it becomes their responsibility to share with others the importance of what they do and the importance of these societal systems, even really far removed from, from a wilderness or wildlife sense. I mean, I definitely consider myself a a steward of the outdoors and a, a representative. Thank you for listening to We Are Rivers, a podcast series about the rivers that connect us. If you enjoyed this series and find it educational or inspirational, please rate and comment, as this helps others discover our podcast series too, and we really appreciate your support.